Parenting is hard. Few of us feel up to the task. The world is shifting, quickly and dramatically. All of us feel the changes affecting our families. The stress and pressure can be intense. We are here to help sort the good and the bad, provide insight and bring hope. Welcome to Brilliantly Brave Parenting. We're so glad you stopped by. Welcome to Brilliantly Brave Parenting. I am Pastor Brad Mathias. And I am Melanie Medina. And we are your hosts today for episode 109. 109 episodes, Melanie. That's amazing. It's great. That's a lot of episodes. It is. Season eight is where we're at. We've been focusing on sort of the idea of intergenerational parenting, uh, faith formation, how grandparents and extended family can have a significant voice into the lives of our children. And that brings me to a totally random, unrelated question. Of course it does. (laughs) For you, being a Red River Valley lady... Okay, I've Did graduated. Like I'm not a Valley girl anymore. No, this is you're a okay, lady. progress. Red River Valley lady. Um, bucket lists are a big deal, right? So, what? Tell us something that's on your bucket list. Oh, I got you, didn't I? Yeah, you told one. me I couldn't prepare for these. That's true. I mean, like even if I tried, I probably couldn't prepare for that one. Um, do you know that when I was about ten or eleven years old, I was on a road trip with my nana. Uh, cross country toward the West. And, um, I had just heard of bucket lists and, um, we made her bucket list and we started checking things off at that time. Um, we saw the golden gate bridge. We went to the Royal Gorge. Um, we went to SeaWorld. I went to the Pacific ocean. These were all things that were on her bucket list. But I think there were things she wanted me to experience. Um, so I, you know, Bucket list. Like, I don't want to jump out of an airplane. No. I think that would kick the bucket okay. list I over. Might stop the ticker. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to do that. Um, gosh, I I don't know. I I'm gonna have to ponder that. Okay. Can I get back to you? Yeah, no, we'll we'll ask you in one one zero. Yeah, episode one ten is gonna okay. be coming up. Do you have another question you'd like to insert? Well, here? you know, I think I know that you're into bling. I know you've got like these shoes. You've got a lot of shoes. So how many shoes do you think? Estimate. How many shoes do you actually have in your closet? Wow. Um, summer shoes or winter no, shoes? No, just total? No, no, oh, no, no. You can't wiggle like all the shoes in your closet. I'll call Tony. I'll find out. <laughs> he he will tell you. I have too many. Um, I really probably have about 60 pairs of shoes. Wow. So where would you put 60 pairs of shoes? Does that have its own closet? It does. We have a spare room because one of our daughters is married and has moved out of the house. And so that is she, her area in there is kind of my shoe area. Okay. I have a a big seven foot tall shoe cabinet that has cubbies in it for the shoes that'll fit in there. And then the other ones stay in my closet all the time, like my boots and the ones that are a little larger and won't fit in the cubbies. Well, I'm not going to embarrass you anymore, but I am going to just for my own curiosity, how would you pick from the 60 shoes you have? I mean, what is it that makes you decide today? That's my shoe for today. (laughs) It's funny you should ask that because I, you know, I, I, I pulled out the shoes today and built the outfit around the shoes. Ah, So the shoes are the first part. They are. Okay. Wow. 
it's uh, it's always insightful for husbands and, and wives to talk and share these things. Not that Melanie and I are married, but I have been married 28 years and my wife is into shoes and it seems like many wives are into shoes. And it's just another illustration of how men and women think and act differently. And today our guest is an expert really on some of the the patterns of behavior that are going on out there. Her name is Dr. Deb Waterbury. Welcome to Brilliantly Brave Parenting. Thank you so much. And I, you know, I got to tell you, those questions, Brad, um, were on both ends of the spectrum there. <laughs> and and I also tell you, you were brave asking a woman about her. <laughs> well, I wasn't brilliant and brave. I was just dumb and brave. But, uh, you know, I vote for that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, one of the tongue in cheeks about this whole podcast is that no parent feels brilliant or brave. Um, Mm. None of us feel equipped or prepared for all the challenges of being a parent and, and the way that life twists and turns. And your story really has a lot of twists and turns. It does. You have been some real highs and some real lows. If you don't mind, just start from the beginning, maybe just a five-minute testimony of where you've been and where you're going. Well, you know, I, um, my husband and I have been married almost 35 years, and we dated for six before that. I've known him since I was 16, um, and I've been a believer since I was 11, but um, I was sexually molested when I was 12 by some uh, boys in my neighborhood, and um, and that really sent me down a really bad trajectory. Um, not that I'm blaming that incident, but it made me believe things about myself that were not true. And so I kind of just, you know, made a lot of bad choices, even though I stayed, you know, I was married to Jeff. And um, in the midst of all that, we, our marriage obviously suffered from all the things that I was doing and all the things that he was doing. And about 17 years in, we were finished, Um, but we both didn't want to be finished for the sake of our boys. I have two boys and they were probably 11 and 14 at the time. And we stayed together. I stayed with Jeff, I should say because I didn't want to lose my boys. He stayed with me because he knew God would have him do so. Um, So we, you know, we, we did, and we moved eventually through healing independently, even though we were together, we were looking, both of us realized we were, had been putting all kinds of pressure on the other person to be our Jesus. And, um, and so just that renewed relationship with, with Christ. And for me in particular, It just brought me back to who I actually am, my actual identity um, as the as the bride of Christ and as his beloved and understanding that I believe a lot of lies about myself for so many years, making choices within those lies as opposed to what I knew to be true. And consequently, God eventually led me into ministry. I was an educator for 18 years, but eventually went into ministry Um, ministering to women with the same issues. And so uh, a lot of what I write and travel and do has to do with identity in Christ. Wow. That, so you have, you have really experienced a wide swath of life. Yes, (laughs) I have. I've, I've, I have, but you know, I, it's what I tell women, it seems like a wide, a wide swath of life. You know, I'm from the outside, but we all really, we all do, regardless of whether or not it's as extreme as mine. 
Um, the enemy, he's not really picky about how he moves within our lives and they don't have to be as diverse as mine. Um, he's going to go for the same thing all the time. And that's make you believe something different about who you are than who you actually are. And, um, and that translates into the way where we are friends, the way we are mothers, the way that we're wives, the way that we are just children of God, it translates into every part of our lives. And so, um, you know, I'm thankful. I I would never want to go through again what I've gone through and I would never wish it on anyone. However, there's not been a moment wasted and that's how good our God is in that he never wastes the second. And so every single thing I've ever done and or been through, I've been able to use to the, to the glory of my father. So that's, you know, in that, in that respect, I'm, I'm very thankful. That is really a fantastic quote. I was actually writing it down. There's never a moment wasted with God. You know, I know you've done quite a few things. You have a PhD. Um, you are uh, an expert in many ways uh, in communicating and ministering with women, with education. Uh, you've written a book, The Lies That Bind. Uh, mm-hmm. You started two ministries in Africa for Reap What You Sow. And um, you have also got your own podcast. You have two podcasts that you do each week. Is there mm-hmm. anything you're not doing right now? <laughs> That's kind of what everybody else asked me. Yeah, no, I'm, there's not. If there isn't, then I'd probably do it. If, if God, You know, I just do whatever God tells me to do. And I reckon he knows the same thing that I said right when y'all first called me, which is if I'm busy, I tend to not be in as much trouble. So <laughs> I think that's why he just says, Deb, you need to do this and then you need to do this because then it keeps my mind off of stuff I might otherwise be doing. <laughs> Yeah, I I mean you're uh you're walking through life clearly you're a leader. Uh clearly you have influence and people are following you and responding to the vision God's giving you for different things, different projects and God's using you in many ways, but it seems like this latest project, this book that is just now available, We Are Mother Abraham. Uh, even though it's fiction, it feels like this is a really deep personal connection to you. Yeah, you know, I, it, actually, We Are Mother Abraham is book number 14 for me, and it's the fourth fictional account I've written. The other 10 are nonfiction. But I can tell you this, everything I write has got some autobiographical elements to them because I believe that we minister best from a place of authenticity and a place of understanding who we are and then being willing to be transparent enough to help others through that. So yeah, if there's a lot of autobiographical elements within this book as well. Wow. Uh, 14th, you said? <laughs> Uh-huh. Wow. So hyper active, <laughs> overachieving mom. With a oh rich, rich, yeah, rich just, imagination. Yeah, you just described me to a T. Hyperactive, over energetic. That's over, yeah, I agree yeah. with that. <laughs> well, I am in awe of that. I'm I'm uh, looking at the things that you're doing. You're not only writing about very important topics for women and ministry in general, but you're sort of chronicling your own personal journey, aren't you? Yeah. Yes, I am. And you know, um this latest book actually 
uh, chronicles both mine and my son's. And I and I have his permission. Obviously, he ministers as well from his place of brokenness. My youngest son is a recovering alcoholic, and so from the midst of he was in the uh, in the Marines and served in Afghanistan a couple of times and um, suffering from some serious PTSD or had been. And so much of what I write about in We Are Mother Abraham, this struggle for mothers to uh, let their children go. And it is the story of, of a woman named Catherine, who is having to uh, understand her role in the life of her daughter, who is a drug addict. So much of this is very autobiographical in terms of my, my uh, path with my own son. And then his path, because it also it talks a bit about and chronicles that her daughter, Nicole, a bit and how she comes through that. And it really does chronicle my son's journey, too. And it really, you know, regardless of whether or not mothers deal with that um, that horrible of a situation, we all struggle with letting our children go and, um, and balancing that need to do everything for them, which is the way we were created and, and, and the, the responsibility to allow the Lord to have his own destiny with our children. Um, that's just a hard road. <laughs> it's just a really hard road. And the Lord finally let me led me to believe that I need and know that I needed to write about that as well. It is a hard road. You know, um, I am just on the, on the beginning years of letting my kids go. I have, they're all grown. Um, Mm. but I'm, I'm just wondering how much Sarah's story played into um, what you personally went through. I know that it's the the thesis for the book and the fiction, but is that is that something that helped you personally, Sarah's story? It did, but I didn't mean for it to. <laughs> it was, you know, the 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 book has is there is a book within the book. So um, it is, you know, that we are Mother Abraham is the, is the book about. Catherine and she's um, it's a fictional character. But then in her Bible study, she's reading another book called Mother Abraham, which is a story of Sarah as she had to let Abraham take Isaac, knowing probably full well what was about to happen. So about you know many years ago, when one of the times when my son disappeared um, and he would occasionally disappear for weeks at a time. This time he had disappeared for a long time and I lost all contact with him. And um, and I, I didn't know whether he's alive or dead. And it was about four weeks into his disappearance. And I was on my face on the floor. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm deep in ministry at this point. Um, it, I was serving in the church as the women's minister. And I had already written a bunch of books and um, trying to figure out how to walk through this. And the Lord, I I was just on my face before the Lord, just begging him to help me. And he just kept saying over and over again in my head, Mother Abraham, Mother Abraham, Mother Abraham. And and I didn't understand that at all. And it took me some prayer time with the Lord before he led me to the story of Sarah and the story that we don't necessarily read in the Bible. But if we know enough about Sarah, which we can see from her personality and the way she responded in many other situations, that um, it would have been very difficult for her to allow that to happen. And this was Isaac. I mean, her, her miracle boy and, um, and, and the, but that high call on every mother to be mother, but then to also allow God to do whatever he needs to do in the lives of our children. So I didn't mean for it to be influential, but the Lord really used her to help me let go of my son. And, um, and in so doing, there was a lot of freedom for me but there was also a lot of room finally for the Lord to be free to do what he needed to do in my son's life. You just said a lot. Um, 
you, so that's the name of my game right there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I'm listening and I'm paying attention and I'm reading uh, all at the same time. And, I, and I'm thinking of the moms who are listening to this podcast and the dads. And there's thousands of people who could put themselves in your position uh, mm-hmm. in one way or another and say, I am right there. My child is now 18 or 20 and they have left the church. They've left our, the faith of Christ. Mm-hmm. They're pursuing something I am totally uh, against and mm-hmm. I'm so discouraged. I feel like I failed them. Um, I feel the guilt of choices I made and you're sort of critiquing yourself 24 seven. Yes. Um, there's just this weight on them. Mm-hmm. What would you say to that mom right now? There is a, there's a God that is bigger than what we see. And, and it, this is really another part of our faith walk. You know, it's, it's really simple. I think to have faith in things that we are not, you know, physically, almost physically connected to. And um, as mothers and as fathers, we, you know, that's just a, with our children, that is the, the walk of faith necessary to allow God to be God when it comes to your children is, is purposefully difficult. But understand that God is honored. He's honored in the love that we have for our children. He's honored in our need to take care of them. And he's honored honored when we have the kind of faith that allows him to be the ultimate father. And so, you know, I tell I tell all the women now that I that I counsel about this, just wait. Because God is bigger than you can possibly ever perceive. And and in this situation too, he is not off his throne. Um and your children yes. are first children. And so, you know, it's just, it's that comfort and it's a, it's a hard walk of faith. God knows that. I mean, it's not like he looks down and goes, why can't you figure this out? He knows this is the difficult walk of faith, but it is the most God honoring walk of faith that we have, I believe, as parents. I love that you said that it doesn't dethrone him. <laughs> you know, so many times we think that, um, you know, where is God in a, in a circumstance, in a situation? And I, I think that there are a lot of people who um, are going to relate to Catherine in your book, who are going to read yeah. this and, and see, oh yeah, I mean, this is, I know what this character's feeling. I know what this, but what about the, um, the, the part of the, the prodigal, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you had mentioned uh, earlier um, that you had, you worked through some things too. Do you yeah. see yourself in any of the other characters in the book? Yeah, you know, it's, it's unfortunate and unfortunate that just about every character I ever write about in every single book is all me at some point or other. So, yeah, I was Catherine. I was Nicole, her daughter. Um, I can I can see myself in, and I do write about much of what I went. You know, the Lord was I see him as very precious and sweet, <laughs> which is weird to say in having allowed me to experience just about every side of life there possibly is, because from that then I I feel that I can come to things from a perspective of experience and empathy that allows um, others the uh, they they listen to me a whole lot more and understand that I know what they're going through from both sides of that. So yeah, Nicole does have a whole lot of me. She's got a lot of my son. You know, when he reads the book, he's like, yeah, man, I can sure see me a lot in that girl. (laughs) But I'm a lot of that girl too, which is why I can't write a book like that and just have it from the perspective of Catherine or Sarah 
Sarah, that it is also the perspective and the cold. And I just heard from a, a young lady the other day who um, she lives in Texas and she's not not married, doesn't have any children, but she's reading We Are Mother Abraham. She says she cried through the whole thing. And well, she kept sending me her highlighted parts and they were all the parts where God was dealing with Nicole um, because I, I'm, I'm real careful to make sure we deal with that bringing home of the prodigal as well. So uh, I've got a just a slightly different question now. Um, I, I know we only have a limited time, so I want to get to some of the other parts of, of your story here and, and really your ministry to women and moms. But I'm I'm curious, what is a she-bear mom? What <laughs> what exactly do you mean by that? Well, you know, okay, so you're asking me that, and every single mom who's listening right now is going, I'll tell you what that is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, bear, bears have this natural, if you, have you ever come up on a, a, I live in Arizona now, so I got javelina around me all the time, but there are bears up in the mountains too, but javelina act a lot the same way. Um, you come near a, a, the, a cub or the baby of any of these large animals, you may as well be prepared to die. And they don't care why you came. It's just if you get anywhere near and they feel like you might be threatening that baby, those animals will lay their lives down to protect their children. And and moms will we we become that um, when it comes to our children, no matter who it is, even if it's them, we will lay our lives down. Not that fathers won't do that either, but moms get almost crazy about it um, because <laughs> it's weird. that's just it's you know they're physically part of us, and we were the human baby is the most helpless of any baby anything on the earth. God created moms to literally do everything for them. It is within our created natures to lay our lives down for our children, which makes that call even higher to then uh, let go of that and deny that created nature, which is what God calls us to, which is why I believe God is so honored in, in, in how he creates and how much he loves moms, because he literally calls us to deny that which we were created to do. It's kind of a big call. <laughs> yeah, so... There is this sort of uh, leaving behind our natural instincts, um, whether we're dads or moms, and mm -hmm. letting go of control of, yes. of these issues that, that have begun to occur in our adult children. Um, yes. The role uh, as parent is shifting from protector um, to more of a mentor, to yes. more of a guide. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's hard. It is hard because that means your hands are off. And you're, and for me, it's, it means my mouth is closed. <laughs> which That's even that's the harder part. Keep my hands off. So, OK, mouth shut. That's not so easy. Um, it is it's a difficult thing. It's difficult for fathers, too. And, you know, I deal a lot in the book with with Catherine, because I know almost every mother will understand this. You know, men, they respond differently than women do. And fathers respond differently to these situations than mothers do. And mothers, unfortunately, will often assume that this response by their husbands or the fathers is an indicator that the love is less, that daddy must love these children less than I do because he's not, you know, going out of his mind right now the way that I am. And so a lot of marriages will suffer and end in the midst of these kinds of trials of having to let your children go because we misinterpret what we see. And um, and so I deal with that in the book as well, because, of course, that was a situation with me, too. Wow. OK, time out. Uh, I'm going to call time. I just threw the flag on the field. Um, <laughs> as a pastor, I've mm -hmm. been in the middle of the huddle 
of mm-hmm. of spouses in crisis with their yeah. their late teen children or or adult children and i can testify to what you just said there you said mm-hmm. it really quick but it's pretty substantial truth right. is that men do not respond like ladies do to no. these kinds of stresses with children and it is also really, really vital for a mom to understand that because her husband isn't climbing the walls with her doesn't right. mean he isn't feeling as acutely all of the emotions that she's feeling. Amen. Amen. And it's unfortunate that we go there, but it's because, I don't know, you know, we just reckon that they ought to be. I, I remember when Miles would disappear, my son would disappear and, and, you know, for me, life needed to end and I didn't want to do anything. I wanted to sit in the house and be miserable because I didn't know where he was. And so Jeff would ask me to go to dinner and I'd be like, what are you talking about? You want to go to dinner? Are you crazy? Our boys disappeared. And, you know, Jeff would just be like, yeah, we got to eat. But, I, and I, you know, from that was, you just don't love him as much as I do because you don't want to stop existing because he's gone. It was just, it's unfortunate. The enemy's got so many lovely tactics he wants to do to to attack the home because it's the it's the core of everything. And if we're aware of it, then it's not successful. So we have to be aware of where we're being attacked. I love that. Uh, I love that insight. I love that reminder, because I think when you're in the thick of this, when when life is getting crazy and there doesn't seem to be an explanation for the craziness, we begin to look for people to blame, don't we? Yes, we do. And each other, you know, if you're married, he, he's going to be the first one you look at or she's going to be the first one you look at, which is why, you know, marriages break up when there's a seriously ill child or uh, when there's a, a child that has, you know, gone astray or whatever, because we want to blame the person that's closest to us and, um, and, and deflect all of that onto them. And being aware of why you're trying to do that will help you to stop doing it. <laughs> but somebody's got to make you aware of it. I mean, you have to be aware of what's going on. Doesn't mean that you're not going to feel what you feel right at the moment, but being aware of why you're feeling it will help you move out of it. Ah, that is an interesting quote. Being aware of why you feel it will help you move out of it. Did I get that right? That's right. Mm-hmm. I'm jotting that down. <laughs> You know, you said something um, a, a few moments ago, too, um, that really, boy, I can relate to it. Um, you said something about um, keeping your mouth closed <laughs> with the <laughs> adult kids. Um, my husband and I, are we we do the same thing. Um, we, we took it a little step further. We keep our mouth closed and we didn't change the locks. That's mm-hmm. kind of what we tell um, people, okay. too, because, um, you know, knowing that I was certainly not perfect and always needed a safe place to land as I was growing up and growing into being an adult, um, knowing that I can always come home, um, Mm. was always, I I didn't, I didn't go back home, but knowing that I could, um, I'm just curious what you think about that. Oh my goodness. You know, I remember even going through 
all the things that I was doing wrong in my marriage um, and in my life, even in the midst of it, knowing that I could go home and going home. I remember going home. Jeff and I were living in England and um, I had 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 an affair and I was going to break up with Jeff and leave our kids. And and I called to tell my parents, you know, what was going to happen. And my daddy just said, won't you just come on home for a minute? (laughs) And so I did. I went home and I literally crawled up in my daddy's lap. And in a couple of days, I realized I couldn't do what it was that I thought I was going to do. But, you know, my daddy's instinct was to tell me, won't you just come on home? (laughs) And even when I came home, they didn't lecture me. Daddy just you know, wrapped me up in his arms and let me know how much I loved him. And, and that was where I found, you know, I was reminded of my father's love through my father's love. And, and it's so important that, you know, my boys know that no matter what they do, I am always going to love them more than my heir. And, um, and that they're always going to be able to be here. Even when we hold them accountable for the things that they do. It's so important. It's a reflection of our father's love. You know, that's what they're supposed to be getting at home. (laughs) Imperfect as it is, it still should be that. <laughs> yeah, I love these sound bites. Like she's dropping these bombs of quotes. Like, uh, I, and we're scrambling to write them down <laughs> because they're like part of this is for the podcast, and part of it I got to use when I go home. Uh, uh, I, there's just truth in this, um, and it's so helpful. One of the things we're trying to do in season eight is to connect the dots for our audience. So we take these sort of really insightful truths and we try to present them in a way that's practical and helpful for the, the mom who's going home to something uh, maybe critical or cr- in a crisis at home. So here's a question for you uh, that we ask each of our guests. Uh, what surprises you most or what surprised you most? about parenting in real life versus what you imagined it would be? Oh, have mercy. Okay, so probably the thing that surprised me most was that it wasn't all cute. I mean, I really <laughs> I really thought that once I had a baby and then I had that second baby, that life was just, they were going to be cute. My life was going to be happy and everything was, you know, it's just that whole idea that everything a Hallmark movie and, um, and it just isn't. And I think the first time, Jeff and I disagreed over diapers. And then as they got older and I, you know, they started smarting off to me and I'm like, and who are you? Cause this isn't cute. There's nothing about this. It's cute at all. And then they, you know, get to their teens. And, and I think every aspect of motherhood that just wasn't sweet, I just thought it was always going to be so sweet. And, and it, there is a, there's an abiding joy I have at being a mom at the same time as there's an abiding heartache that I have always at being a mom. And I wasn't necessarily ready for that second part. Um, and, and it's, it's something that I'm, you know, I still to this day, every day, um, feel both of those things. And I think that if we let moms, parents need to know that that's not, doesn't mean you're failing. It just means this is, this is the life and your heartache comes because you adore them so much and everything's imperfect around you and you want it to be perfect. Mm. And it's natural and good and fine to feel that. I just think, again, like I said earlier, if you're aware of why you're feeling what you're feeling, then it helps you as you're feeling it. I am trying so hard not to project right now. Um, (laughs) I have three, three children, two daughters and a son. Uh, My girls are married uh, in their twenties. I have two Mm. grandkids because of that. Um, I'm known in some circles as Poppy. Um, oh, 
that. But uh, I have a son who's 20 in his 20s. Yeah, he's a graduate student. He's uh, still searching, trying to figure out what he believes and who he's going to follow for his life. And my wife is Mama Bear, this person you've described in this story, Mother Abraham. In fact, I got your book and I gave it to her. I don't know if she's going to read it or not. Uh, but because it'll probably help her. Yeah, I think so. And I, and I'm sitting there and I have been accused of all the things you're describing, like not caring the same, not being motive, you know, that, and, and she's, she's just in pain. What do you, what do I say to my wife? What does the, the mom who's listening right now, they're, they're fasting, they're praying, they are serious about this and they can't see any results. What do you, what do you say to them? Just, you know, I, I think it's it's back to what I said earlier. You, you We have to lean into the God that we know exists. And, you know, I, I say this in a group that my husband and I lead on Sunday nights and uh, and my, my podcast right now is about finding intimacy with God. I, I'm telling you, you cannot lean into a God you don't know. And that fasting and that praying and that pain and that worry that we feel over our children cannot be laid at the feet of a savior we don't know. And so if you don't know him, you're not going to be able to let go of your children to him. So I, you know, I tell everybody, put things in the proper perspective and in the proper order. It's always going to be God first, always. And that doesn't mean you necessarily that you just put him first, though you should. You got to know him first. And that takes effort. You got to know his character. You have to know that he never forsakes you. You have to know the love of his that abides beyond everything that you can possibly imagine. You have to know the character of the God that you serve. And when you know know him, then you can move into his arms and move into the comfort that is his, even in the midst of that pain. If you don't, then the pain will overwhelm you. It'll swallow you because there's nowhere to go with it. Wow. That was, that was beautiful. That was so. That was worth the price of admission right there. Absolutely. I believe that was the Holy Spirit. It Uh, seems like it'd be doesn't it? I mean, just because you just got to know him, but that's not simple. Everything in this world would tell you not to know him or to keep you from knowing him. But every joy that you could possibly have will only come when you know him. Um, everything else has got to be superfluous next to that. Wow. We have been talking with Dr. Deb Waterbury and she's, uh, you're something. Uh, <laughs> I, I love you. I think you're awesome. And oh, as you've you. been sharing, I I can tell every one of the things you're telling the, the audience, these aren't these aren't bulletin points on a theory or a thesis. This is your life. And you're mm-hmm. sharing it with us. You're saying, look at the pain I went through, learn from it and grow from from where yes. I've been. That's, Amen. That's right. Uh, that's a beautiful, beautiful uh, ministry that you have. I would strongly encourage our audience to come to our website, take a look at all the links we'll have up for you and your ministries, uh, your books. And uh, how, how would people get a hold of you if they just had a question or wanted to, to find out more? They can email me at any time they want to at drdeb at debwaterbury.com um, or then go to debwaterbury.com at my website and my email's there too. Um, and, there's, and there's a way to call as well. I have a business line that, uh, that's all the time to anybody who wants to call. So yeah, I'll, I'll talk to anybody at any time. Melanie. We can you, also find her on Instagram. Yeah, well. That's right. Because I, I, I follow her on Instagram. <laughs> Melanie is our Instagram expert. So oh. she's... I'm an avid user. Yeah. 
Well, you know, I, I'm trying to get that way. I have hired a lot of young people because I'm old as dirt and I don't, I mean, I don't tend to not do, I don't do those things. I'm getting better, but my assistant and my graphic designer and my editor, they're all young on purpose because they're just pulling me up by the bootstraps and trying to make me do stuff. And so Instagram is relatively new for me, but I do like it. People are nice on there. Well, I, I especially like your candy making day post just so you know, and I want the recipe for those little turtle bites. My teeth are still hurting. I licked my fingers worth about 10 pieces. It was, it's, it's hard to make that candy and not eat it, sister. You two have some separate business, I think, to attend to. (laughs) Um, I think Melanie might have an addiction to Instagram, but we can talk about that in another episode. (laughs) Different episode altogether. Exactly. You know, at the bottom line, uh, this podcast exists to encourage parents who are not feeling brilliant or brave, uh, who Mm -hmm. are feeling outclassed and overwhelmed, outmatched, um, that God is big enough. He is wise enough and he is close enough to make every bit of the difference uh, that we need. Thank you, Dr. Deb, for being a part of our show today. Thank you so much for having me. It was a joy. Okay. Um, Sometimes you do interviews and you're like, that one was for me. That one was for me. I'm going to just claim it. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. I really enjoyed her. I loved uh, hearing the nuggets that she had for us. I was like mad taking notes <laughs> the whole time. We both were. I looked up a couple times during the, the interview and she's she's answering questions and you and I are scribbling, both of us with our heads down completely. Like, uh, you know, you just, there are these, these moments in life where you come across someone who's been there before you and you recognize it and you go, wow, I, I can really benefit from listening right now. Uh, I felt inappropriate for me to be asking her questions. I felt really like she should just talk and I should take notes and then at the end, thank her. And hopefully that's kind of what we did today. I hope so too. And I really hope that um, uh, the people who are listening are going to go grab this book, but moreover, her podcast is great. Her entire website is filled with great resources and um, just wisdom, just tons of wisdom. She was talking about how she writes. She's written 14 books and four of them are fiction, but all the characters in the fiction books have uh, some piece of her character or experience in them. That's amazing. Well, it's clear, you know, some people talk a lot and other people have things to say. Yeah. And she's both. (laughs) Like, that's rare. Yeah. Like, usually, you know, you get a lot of sort of verbs and adjectives thrown together and and you have to filter it to get something that's really beneficial. I I had the sense that the longer she would talk, the better it would get. And um, there was no wasted energy in any of that interview. So five stars for me. I hope you think it's five star worthy. And if you do, just click right over in this podcast episode and leave us five stars and recommend us leave a leave a few comments if you'd like we love it when we hear from you and if you find yourself uh, addicted to instagram like my co-host then maybe you should follow us on instagram we'd love to have you for the ride i am not addicted yes you are all right thanks everybody it has been a pleasure to share from our world to yours we hope you feel like you're a part of this family of parents and uh, we invite you to come back right here next week god bless be encouraged parents you are not alone 
In Paul's letter to his son in the faith, Timothy, he writes, But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Brilliantly Brave Parenting wants to be an encouragement and support that parents can rely on. Would you consider liking us and sharing us with a friend? As a part of the Tween Gospel Alliance, we are a nonprofit organization dependent on the support of friends like you. Thanks for stopping by. We'll be right here next week.